Hello, Rich Bowlers here, and thank you for downloading this episode of the Dad Mindset Show. Today, I chat with journalist Rob Sturrock about the daily challenges of raising boys who can thrive in the current era. Rob is the author of Man Raises Boy, a revolutionary approach for fathers who want to raise kind, confident, and happy sons. He's also often featured in publications ranging from the Huffington Post to the ABC and is considered somewhat of a leading father's voice in parenting debates. I hope you really enjoy this chat with Rob. Rob Sturrock, welcome to the show. G'day Richard, very good to be here. Now Rob, I've just finished reading your book, Man Raises Boy, which I really enjoyed. But the main question that came to mind when going through it was, do you really think it takes a pandemic to trigger a fatherhood revolution? Yeah, good question. I think it's certainly, at this stage, it can certainly help. Like I think it can accelerate change. And I think that's the the good side of what we've seen in the last 18 months is we've seen dads working from home more and that being acceptable. We've seen dads have their home front, their children more visible during the workday. And I think that's great because I think another big challenge for fathers is they often kind of hide the fact they are dads when they're in an office, you know, and the pandemic has kind of made everyone again aware that dads are also carers. They have their kids around them and they're trying to do that juggle. Um, and I think in in some respects it's, it's freed up and made more flexible some working arrangements. So there have been some of the really promising things from the pandemic. Some of the trickier things I think is in between, you know, New South Wales and various lockdowns, we saw a lot of men go right back to the office full time. So kind of a snap back to the way things were. And I'm a bit worried that some of those changes that we've, we've seen are at risk and are a bit elastic. And we may go back to the old ways of men just working long hours at an office all week. Um, we haven't seen, according to some of the statistics, a huge change in the way domestic caring and household loads are shared at home. Um, there are some great studies done. And look, it's all kind of, you know, we've all done this in the heat of the moment. So, you know, with, a, with some more years, we'll have some more hindsight. But the Institute of Family Studies did some interesting work um, towards the end of 2020 about how working mums and dads were starting to share the load differently and the bottom line was mums were still carrying most of the homeschooling caring load. Dads were doing a little bit, but there had been no huge uptick in dads doing the bulk of domestic loads or couples thinking they were more equally sharing the, the domestic loads and the parenting. So even during the heat of the moments of the pandemic, I think we've still kind of fallen back on kind of the way things were pre-pandemic. And that's the big um, issue and look, I'm sure we'll talk about throughout the interview. You know, how do we break down these really stubborn norms and attitudes around men and fatherhood and what it takes to be a carer? Uh, look, I think we've we've shaken it up and loosened it up a bit in the pandemic. I, I'm by no means somebody who thinks you know the future has arrived and the pandemic's going to just um, inevitably change everything. I think we're going to really have to fight for the change from this point forward. Yeah, because the, I mean, the stats are really low for for dads actually being the primary carer, aren't they? Something like 5%, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, 5% primary carer, 4 or 5% of dads working part-time with children. Um, you know, we've got about 5.5 million dads, give or take, in this country. About 80,000 to 90,000 stay-at-home dads, even within that tiny cohort. A lot of those stay-at-home dads are initially making their choice because of employment or health or disability reasons. So, yeah, there's a lot of devil in the detail with the numbers. Um, 
But, you know, some of the really bright spots are some of the really great parental leave packages that private sector companies are starting to announce. And some of them are fantastic. And I look on, I look at them in envy and wish I had access to <laughs> yeah. six months. Six months that have paid flexible parental leave. It sounds incredible. It's almost like the Swedish model, isn't it? Is it Sweden? I yeah. think that has some of the, like, six months of uh, yeah, yeah. paid parental leave for dads. Yeah, the, the Scandi countries are great at that. And um, it's funny because um, I think, part of the friction in Australia, you know, getting to our blokey fatherhood, you know, sort of culture is when you sort of mention things like, well, the Swedish model of parental leave, or whatever, I think some people go, well, they're a totally different society, totally different sort of political economic system. But the reality is too, is that Sweden introduced the policies that it did because in the seventies, they realized they had such a low uptake of men taking um, parental leave and being the carers. And they wanted to change that. It wasn't that, you know, Swedish men were fundamentally different from the get-go and the policies were just reflecting that. They, Those governments brought in policies to drive different behaviour amongst fathers and yeah. it's kind of worked. Yeah. Um, so when people say, well, you can't really talk about the Swedish experience because it's so different from Australia, <laughs> but, well, it's not because they started at a low base and that's why they introduced the policies that they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, it's so different. Can you tell us a bit about your experience as being the primary yeah. Yeah, so for reasons, so I'm um, married, got two young children. My daughter's about five. My son will turn three in October. Uh, so um, I guess as we were approaching the birth of our daughter, we had a sort of a chat, my wife and I, about how we wanted to do the parenting, and we we're really adamant about trying to do it equally. Uh, we really wanted to be as equal um, as possible. We both value each other's careers equally, and I wanted to be a really active hands-on dad. Uh, so my wife, both times for our children, took about nine, ten months maternity leave. So during that, I basically worked full time. Um, and then when she was ready to go back to the workforce, I took three months sort of parental leave for both my kids when just before they were one. I took over the primary care duties at home, uh, which was wonderful. You know, like a lot of people have said, you know, it's it's long, grueling, exhausting <laughs> days, but I loved it. I, I, you know, I would have happily had two or three times that length if I could have accessed it. You know, I found my, I think for me, it really hit home with my daughter too because my bond with her before and after parental leave was just fundamentally different. Um, and I thought I was being a very active hands-on dad, but from the time she was born, um, you know, I was trying to get up and do bottle feeds in the middle of the night and bathing and swaddling and settling and all that stuff. But just that uninterrupted time every day when I was with her doing everything she needed to be done and taking her out for excursions, it was just fantastic. So, and it was the same with my, my son the second time rounds. And um, so that was, yeah, that was predominantly my parental leave experience was sort of three months of both children. But I've sort of ended up having like a surprising third parental leave in a way. Like I've been a stay-at-home dad for about six months now. I took a redundancy from my last job and I've been the stay-at-home dad again for the last six months with the kids doing all the household and caring stuff. Well, my wife has been working um, full-time and that's been fantastic and a real blessing because I thought my time at being at home as a carer was probably behind me. So it's as hard as in some respects as the redundancy was, it's been wonderful to have this this time too, particularly as my, my daughter's going to start school next year. So it's kind of her last year and her sort of toddler era where she's going to yeah. be home. It's been wonderful. <clears throat> That's great. And I think because I, I spent um, a year looking after the girls when they were oh, wow. two and four. And it was fantastic, but yeah. you know, it was grueling, really hard. It was yeah. a massive wake up call for me, but I think it really sort of, it, it shone a light on that whole notion of 
And you you referred to it in the book, how spending time with the kids during the day, it's different time. It's on their time yeah. schedule. And, you know, you can just follow what they want to do. There's, the time pressure is much more relaxed. Whereas when yeah. you're a dad trying to fit stuff in after work or at the weekends, there's always that sort of, oh, we've got to get this done because I want to do this and we want to do this. And, and that's when the wheels tended to fall off for me when I was trying to sort of hurry them along to the next thing. And I think yeah. having that space for yourself and the kids just makes such a difference. Yeah, no, it's a great way to put it. And you're absolutely right, I, I think. And it's hard to, I guess, really appreciate it until you do it, right? Because you feel like, well, I've had two or three hours with the kids on a Saturday morning or, you know, a Monday night. I kind of get the gist of how the day goes down, but it is, it is fundamentally different. And as you said, you know, it it can be more relaxed. You know, you can be less stressed about them taking their time and doing whatever they're doing because you've got nowhere else to be. Um, And it's, it it is really lovely. And it's, it's funny because my wife has really felt that at the moment because I've got so much time with the kids. I just kind of don't feel that pressure about you know time and doing things with them as much but when she's just got a three or four hour chunk with them and she's trying to sort of make the most of it she's trying to talk to them and bond with them and play good games and you know what it's like when they don't want to cooperate it can be really (laughs) frustrating and she's kind of looking at the clock and thinking about what's going to be waiting for her at work and it is more compressed and that does lead to a little bit more sort of stress and pressure and I think it's something that I really hope dads think about when they think about parental leave is it is hopefully uninterrupted sort of quiet time with your family um, in, in, in the quiet in the sense that, you know, you don't have to worry, you know, predominantly about work or about the the next project or your inbox. You can just be with the kids and absorb that life um, and it'll fundamentally change you. Yeah, it's a really tricky thing though, isn't it? And one of the things that uh, I picked up in your book was the that, the dad that tries to you know do work after they go to bed or is is still sort of checking emails um their kids actually even felt like they their dad wasn't around as much anyway even though they might have been spending the actual same time with them it's because they were they were they were what was it they were there but not present yeah they they were visible but not present i think is what you said yeah yeah absolutely um and you know i think it happens a lot and it happens to everyone at certain points of time when you're sort of there with your kids but your mind's elsewhere but there is that real pressure for dads and I think this is, you know, part of the the discussion I hope that starts to emerge around, you know, fatherhoods and how we help fathers be carers because it is really hard. Not only are we up against sort of the attitudes around dads aren't really competent carers, they're better to sort of provide financial stability for the family, which sort of the systems in place that really support dads to step out of the workforce and, and have that time. So, you know, it is hard for them and they are trying to, and you know, so many dads that are trying to do the right thing at both ends. They're trying to be diligent, you know, reliable workers or managers and keep up with their workload, plus be there for their children. And that's that's a really high stakes um yeah. game it's just it, it, it leads to a lot of burnout. And it, it we make it really hard on, on men. You know, I think we we are more generous and accepting of working mums in a way, being able to take extended mat leave, you know, you know, nine or ten or twelve months isn't considered abnormal. We're a bit more understanding when they've got to do things like the school and daycare drop-offs and the sick days. But when it comes to men doing that, we still just have this jarring reaction of why are you the one doing that? And that puts a, a lot of pressure on men to sort of go with the flow. Um, and I think there's, a, you know, you sort of, you know, the research has sort of shown there it can be this work-family conflict for a lot of men where they're like, I'm working these massive hours for work to try and for provide for the family but I'm missing out on seeing my kids. I know they want to see me more and I want to see them more and I'm feeling a real distress about it. We don't really help them. 
Um, and that's that's where the rub, I think, is at the moment, is there's a lot of dads trying to do the right thing and be active and hands-on, not giving them a lot of help. No. And, I mean, in, in your views, what makes a father-friendly work uh, workplace? Um, I think it starts uh, it starts with policies in a way for me because that's the policies can help drive the, the cultural change. I mean, it's a bit chicken and egg, but for me, and I've done this a couple of times now where I've gone into a new uh, workplace and I have proactively at the beginning say, can I see your policy to see how you're supporting families? So do they have generous pay, parental leave policies for men and women? Or are there, is there a reduced number of weeks that a dad can take versus a mum? Or if a dad takes it, are there more strings attached in terms of the time they have to take it? Or do they have to, you know, fill in more forms or do they have more requirements around it? Like, for instance, when I took parental leave the second time around, my wife's boss had to sign some forms saying that, I was going to be the primary carer. I mean, there's this sense of trying to make sure that men aren't just trying to find a new avenue of leave to stay at home and sort of dick about. So there's that there's like a trust factor about men yeah. um, doing it. Uh, a lot of the times, too, in policies, men have to take parental leave within the first 12 months of the baby's life, which makes it really hard for them to have any um, quality time because a lot of the mums take almost a year. So mm. kind of it, it disqualifies a lot of men. So it starts a policy. Are those policies really flexible, generous, like family-friendly for, for women and men? And then it, it does get down to the culture, you know. Is there a culture that it's not it's not really a policy for men to take? It's It might be written in a gender-neutral way, but it's actually for working women. Um, that happens a lot. There are some, you know, gold standard policies around the private sector that look wonderful on paper and where you see a lot of... Um, a lot of noise made about it on websites, but the reality is that men feel completely deterred by cultural factors from taking that within the organisation. So what's the culture? You know, are there men at different levels taking leave or is it, you know, or do we see sort of a, an opposition or recalcitrance to leave in the senior management? You know, I think yeah. they're really important questions because if senior managers and leaders are committed to the policies, they're taking it themselves or they're using it themselves or they're actively encouraging their um their direct reports to to take those policies and, and apply them that it makes a huge difference to the cultural approach of an organization um and then i think it's also um those day-to-day even just outside the policies those day-to-day flexibilities we need now like allowing uh, men to come late because they've done daycare drop-off or school drop-off or understanding if they've got to take a sick day because they've got to take care of their kids because they're home with a daycare bug and those little those little um disruptions to the workday are they tolerated are they supported are they um sort of frowned upon i think there's some of those sort of hidden um variables for men that that can make life either a bit less stressful because they get great support or way more stressful because they feel like they're sort of dropping the ball yeah, and I think it's really important to sort of uh, recognize that burnout is a real thing when people are trying yeah. to juggle everything. And and if if we can put in place these policies that really support that at the start, there's a really good chance that you're going to prevent a lot of, you know, burnout, anxiety, yeah. depression, all that sort of stuff that is so prevalent, especially, you know, in um, you know, dads that are trying to juggle everything. Uh, yeah, I think it's really yeah. important. I mean, uh, you you mentioned in the book that you've had your fair share of sort of mental mm. health battles upon yeah. like becoming a dad. Like, why do you think so many dads battle mental health problems in silence? Yeah, I, I, that's a great question. Like, I think it gets to you know it gets more to the masculine 
culture we have in Australia and that is sort of replicated in other countries around the world, the sense that we still have, again, this sort of belief or this normative notion that men are kind of stoic and that for men to be emotional or vulnerable is some sort of weakness or problem. Um, and, you know, we see it in various settings around around the country and it's kind of been a heightened point of debate now for the last the six, 12 months in Australia. But I think that's part of it. You know, we've either imparted by culture or in family notions or in workplaces the sense that men kind of just are meant to sort of roll up their sleeves and get on with it. They're not meant to sort of, they're meant to just tackle their burdens on their own. Uh, and it's like I the, think it's like the British sort of stiff upper lip, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. This is a sense that stoicism and you know, men don't don't have those sort of problems. And you know, I think it, it manifests in a, in a few different ways. I think pre-pandemic, at least, I think a lot of men tended not to talk openly about their experiences of fatherhood, um, which is kind of why I started writing to begin with, because there were so few accounts of dads being dads and the challenges what with it. Which is kind of why I just started to share my own as one point of sort of one data point. Um, even when I talk to some of my very close friends, it can be kind of hard to get them to open up about fatherhood, their experiences as yeah. being a dad, um, what they're going through and how they're feeling. Um, and, yeah, look, as I said, I think in the workplace we tended to, you know, dads tended to kind of hide the fact that they, they're fathers. They kind of talk. They don't really talk about their kids very openly or deeply and there was a sense that, no, we're here to talk about work and, you know, if we have common interests, it'll be sport or something else. So that since we kind of bottle it up um, and I think it still goes on and and that, that also leads on to problems like you were saying, Richard, people, men don't kind of reach out for help. They might not reach out for therapy. They may not even just reach out to a mate and say, can I just have a chat because I'm really battling at the moment and I just need to talk to someone who can just listen. Um, it just isn't that sense of being open and, and vulnerable. Um, I hope that's starting to slowly change. Um, uh, and, I, yeah, look, and I, I, in my harder days early, early on as a parent when I – I'd taken parental leave and I'd gone back to work and I'd switched from full-time to part-time work. I went all right for a while and then I felt some acute anxiety and depression around the sense of I was failing on both fronts. I wasn't doing enough at home and I was dropping the ball at work and it was therapy that got me through that um, to just be able to open up and then sort of deal with the the issues I was I was going through at the time and and find techniques for, for better well-being. And if it wasn't for that, it would have been much harder. Um uh, yeah, look, I think it's we have to help sort of men feel it's okay to say I'm kind of stuck here and I need help. That's not a admission of weakness or defeat or whatever. It's just normal It's and it's healthy and it's a good thing yeah. to say I need help with something. Yeah, I went through a similar situation last year and I just landed in a heap at one stage and, and it was it was seeing a therapist that really helped me and I was like, why have I not got into this earlier? I'd always yeah. had this image that it was like, oh, you're broken goods if you go to see a therapist. But I, I, I like to look at it now like on Billions where they've got that sort of the psych in there that sort of helps people play at their optimum level. And I was like, yeah. why don't we view it like that? You know, you go to see a coach when you want to improve your tennis game. Why don't you go and see a, um, you know, a, a, a psychiatrist when, or a psychologist when you want to improve your mental game? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we go to get check-ins for every other part of our body. Um, so why wouldn't we do it in terms of what's going on inside our brain? Like it makes, yeah. I, I think we have seen some great gains in terms of the mental health, like breaking down the stigma. Um, and, you know, I, I think... If you talk to a lot of men, I think they're like, oh, yeah, like therapy has sort of been normalized. It still seems to be sometimes that next step of 
actually saying, okay, I'm the one this time that probably needs therapy. I know my mate has talked about it and it's good good for him, but actually I need to go and take that step and, and go to therapy. And again, even in my social circle, there I don't I think all my close friends in the last five years could have done with some therapy at one point in time because for those exact reasons, it just helped them, help unpack some stuff, some stress and stuff going on. I'm glad to see in, in at least in my little neck of the woods, a couple of my friends have been doing that over the last 12 months. They've voluntarily gone, you know what, Max, you're going to go and talk to someone about it. And it's great. And as you said, you don't look back and think, I shouldn't have done that. You think, oh, why haven't I been doing this earlier? Why haven't I been doing this for longer? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, then, and then the only worry is people will be that this guy just won't shut up about it. <laughs> yeah, seeing a therapist being amazing. Like, <laughs> Yeah. I, I became a bit of a, a, a nagger like that and being like, what you think about? And trying not to be, you know, you know, push uh, solutions on people, say, would you think about therapy? So from the point of view of saying to them, I know for me it's been great. So yeah. you might get some benefit from it too, rather than saying you should go and see a therapist. Yeah, coming like. coming from a position of vulnerability, like look, it helped me work through some some really important stuff, and you know yeah. it's there if you you know don't feel it's a a bad thing to reach out to someone for that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, um, like I really liked one of the points that you mentioned as well. Like, how can we as dads best add value to our families? Yeah, and what are your thoughts on that, Rob? Oh, it's a yeah, that's a big question. Um, look, I think it starts before the, the kids even come along, right? Like, I think a lot of a lot of the value you can you can start to create in terms of your family is having that conversation with your partner at the get go about okay, we're pregnant or we're we're trying for a baby. You know, what's life going to look like for us once we have kids along? And I, I think starting on the right sort of foot and with kind of this very open explicit sort of agreement with your partner about how things are going to run is it you know it just it helps invaluably um and i think sometimes you know men might tend to leave it kind of late like here's the baby okay what do we do now or the very late late (laughs) part of pregnancy it's kind of like okay the baby's coming in a month let's do the the nuts and bolts things let's get a pram let's build the crib whatever at least it's not like the that, old days rob where the guy was still in the pub smoking a cigar yeah. with his mates getting completely yeah, yeah. trashed yeah exactly like you know the question was did you go to the birth of your child at all was sort of <laughs> yeah. uh, rather than what are you doing we've so, come yeah, a long way we have come a long way um but i think sort of having that conversation going, okay well what does our life look like you know once we have a baby along like in terms of work and family, what are our priorities going to be? And look, as I said, look, it worked for my wife and I because we'd always considered ourselves sort of equal in our relationship. And then it was, um, okay, well, how do we kind of keep that equality going uh, once we have a, a, have a baby? And it was trying to think about, you know, can we both, can you know, we both work, a, you know, a similar amount and, how would we handle things at home? And it's funny, like even the gender norms came into play for us where we were determined to try and break them. But our first kind of agreement about, okay, when we have a baby, here's how our work life will look, what still looked like I would work full time and my wife would work three days. Yeah. And we came back and sort of said, but wh- why it's, are you working three it's, days? Exactly. It's like, and especially when you're trying to model to your daughter, for example, yeah. and, and you know, oh yeah, everyone's equal, gender equality, and then you're not actually sort of showcasing that. It's 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 really important, isn't it? It really sinks in. We were trying to be really deliberate. We're like, hang on, but just because you're a woman doesn't mean you have to be the one that works part time. So we're like, no, let's try and both, like, let's try and both come to an arrangement that works. So for us, fortunately, we've found positions in our careers where we can basically kind of both work 
part-time. So at least then we're, we're trying to, again, trying to share the, the load home, at least, I guess, create the space where we can both be equal at home. Um, I guess the big one too in terms of just adding value is understanding that being an active, down or active parent means sharing that mental load as well. Um, and I think that's sometimes something that can get missed um, just well-intentionally by by different dads. Um, you know, the way I've described it is it's, you know, there's, you know, the mental load is is actually taking the initiative for caring for the kids, thinking about their needs, what needs to happen next or, you know, what needs to happen next for the household and doing it proactively rather than asking for a to-do list or sort of going to your partner and say, well, what needs being to be done assistant. now? Being the assistant, yeah. Yeah, being the assistant. And exactly it's really easy, isn't it, to actually default to one, generally the the, the sort of female in the house, the person that's spending the most time with the kids naturally yeah. sort of defaults to be the organiser. Yeah. Uh, and and that that sort of blows that apart then as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I think um, it can get reinforced too by some sort of parenting myths we've got going around. Like there's the one that you know that research has shown is still very dominant, which is that people think that a dad can't really do much for a newborn until they're about six months old. You know, they're just they're new. They want to be around mum. They want to breastfeed. They're very attached to mum. So there's not a lot a dad can do. That's a very well like perpetuated myth. It's not yeah. a real thing based on biology or anything. So we have this missed kind of, again, put dads into the sidekick assistant box. Um, so I think a great way to add value is to say, no, I'm a, I'm a co-part in the parenting journey. I'm going to help share the mental load equally. So I'm going to like take the lead and take initiative for certain parts of running the home. Like for me, a big part of taking the lead was I'll be in charge of finding the right daycare for our kids. Like I'll do the virtual tours and I'll send, I'll do the waitlist applications and I'll like, I'll do all that um, and not just let that default to mum. There, you know, and everyone's going to have their specialised labour form that they can bring to the family. But I think thinking about, I can take these things that'll just be my responsibilities. I can take them off my partner's shoulders. Um, Because yeah, if you're the mum that's sort of at home for 10 months of mat leave, trying to run the whole household stuff, constantly thinking about what's coming next, you know, handing tasks to your, your partner, that's, that's incredibly draining, emotionally draining. So a big part of adding like value to family is you're, you're carrying that load equally and I think you'll both be happier for it. Yeah. And how, how do we get men to take more action on gender equality in general at home and, and at work when they think they're already doing a great job? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's that's a, a really big one. Um, look, I think for me, I really kind of we've talked about a lot already, like Practical ways, being able to do things like step out of the workforce to take parental leave and have time off. Because I think in the being at home and seeing everything that happens at home and appreciating it more holistically, uh, it's a great eye-opener for a lot of men where they can go, okay, I actually see just how hard it is to be at home with a baby all day and why people might say they haven't got anything done. <laughs> I'm getting done flashbacks, the actually, the, the yeah. first couple of weeks when I was like, yeah. oh, this is way more intense than I have envisaged. Yeah, yeah. I remember my first day of parental leave too. It, you know, my wife got home at a reasonable hour, like at six or six thirty. But it, it <laughs> where have like you been? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's it's such a you know for me parental leave and it's it's great on the on the job training. So I think that's the first window to the gender equality, the ultimate gender equality change. You go right. I see how hard caring is, and I see how difficult it is on my partner and my wife, and then on the women I know in my life. And then I think it's thinking, okay, well then how can I disrupt that? that status quo and what can I do to help? And, you know, again, it's for men, they can 
they can help their their wife or their partner back to the workforce by taking parental leave. That helps their wife get back to their or their partner back to their career, getting their feet under the desk, back to work. You know, settling in while they handle the home front. Um, I think the other thing that we we miss a lot in in like taking parental leave, you know, we pick up a lot of skills. You know, I think a lot of the time when men are worried about taking parental leave, whether it's going to be sacrificing something in their career, they're talking about what they think they're going to lose or miss out on, not what they're going to gain. You know, I certainly found when I had my parental leave, there were things I took back to the workforce that I didn't even imagine, you know, things like being a better multitasker, more efficient and productive with my time and better being able to communicate and anticipate people's needs and a bit more emotionally intelligent. They're all things you pick up from caring from children. So you take that back into the yeah. workforce. And fitting fitting like 10 times the amount of jobs into 15 minutes than you could before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like you're doing all these things and, you, and you, you know, you might sit back on, you know, back at the desk at day one going, oh man, I'm going to be so rusty. But you'll actually have so many skills and techniques that will make you more efficient and productive in, in your day. And I think also that emotional intelligence you bring back to the workforce makes you a better manager or a better colleague makes you a bit more empathetic to others but you know hopefully also people of different genders and i think that's another great practical effect you know in terms of improving gender equalities men go back with again with their eyes open they're a bit more emotionally mature and they 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 can hopefully be better colleagues and managers and they can maybe also look at the policies and see where they're unfair or see you know where a hiring structure might look unfair and they, they can sort of make those practical daily changes um and then also and all that, you know, role modeling to their kids, you know, like the being a man is involves caring, nurturing and loving and being affectionate. Like they're all manly traits. They're part of being, a, you know, a father. Um, and you're going to role model certain behavior that your kids can take forward. Um, and for me, that's, you know, particularly important for both our kids, but especially our little boy, that he's a very sweet natured little boy. He's, he's sensitive. He's thoughtful. He's a kind little guy. And I want him to keep that. And I want him to see that in his dad is that, you know, dad, hopefully, um, portray some of the same traits and he can say, okay, well, that's what it takes to be, you know, being a boy and being a man is not just rough and tumble or, you know, this, this stoic notion we talked about. It's actually being, you know, kind and thoughtful for others and empathetic. Um, yeah. And I think well, they think it has like a ripple effect, I think, in a gender equality. That's right. And, uh, and you did refer to that quite a bit. And I really like that section on how we, how we back all boys to be good men. And I think it's a really yeah. good distinction to make between being a real man, which is the old sort of old fashioned view of what a man is with yeah. being a good man. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of studies that show that that sense of the real man, yes, yeah, stoic, in control, fearless, you know, will, you know, can tell lots of funny and offensive jokes and kind of has a lot of bravado and machismo, you know, that's still out there. And, you know, a lot of studies show that, you know, teenage boys and young men say they 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 receive and hear those signals that might come from family or pop culture or school. Um, you know, at least from the from the home front, you know, men and women can role model something different. And you know, I, I'm yeah, I think it's a really sort of big point where we can stop talking about what it takes to be a real man, talk to what it takes to be a good man. And there's a story I tell in the book. Uh, I went to a parenting workshop with Julia one weekend and saw Steve Biddle from Maggie Dent, you know, two of the parenting gurus, uh, and another guy, a principal called um, Clark White, who was from Western Australia, and he said, um, you know, how, for the men in the audience, it was, you know, predominantly two-thirds mums, but for the men in the audience, he said, how many of you um, were sat down by your dad and told that you had what it takes to be a good man? And 
next to no hands were raised in the audience. And there's a big arena in the city, and mine wasn't either. Just that sense that we don't even really guide or talk to boys and teenagers about what being a good man means. We kind of still put being a man into a set of, well, it's not just traits, it's sort of things that you can do. You can shave, you can it's, do It's skills, hard. isn't it? Yeah, yeah skills, um, sort of basic skills at that. And we don't talk about the, the qualities and characteristics of a good man. And, yeah, or values. Yeah, and values. And we just need to talk to our boys about that. So, have you, you know, to that end, have you had a thought? Uh, ha- have you thought much about how you're going to approach that with your son? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, you know, even now when I talk to him, it's always trying to talk to him about what I see already as his, some of his, his most positive traits. I, I will often call him a very sweet little boy and very affectionate when he does something kind. I'll say that was a very kind thing to do. That's very lovely. And we try and always sort of identify those things he does and, and, you know, compliment them and sort of reinforce them to him and say, that was a very kind thing you did for your sister or that was very thoughtful and aren't you a very sweet-natured little boy? And I'm off, I am off. I also try and be very just affectionate and sweet with him because I know want him always to feel like mum and dad give the cuddles and the kisses and we're there for that affectionate side too. For me, that's, that is a big one, just being affectionate um, and just of showing your affection. You know, again, it's like a previous generation. There were so many comments you'd hear from from family saying, you know, you know, grandpa or pops, you know, he showed his love in his own way, or dad loved you in his own way. It's like that. It was always this sort of cryptic, semi mysterious. Yeah, you knew he loved you, but he never showed you. I just don't want my kids like wondering at all. I want them to see that part of being a father is just being openly affectionate and loving to them, and that's just part of what being a man is. And yeah, so like at the moment, I, I, I you know, he's only just about three, but I feel like I can see some of the traits in my little boy that I had as a little boy. Like I think he, he's quite sensitive. He can be a bit of a worrier. Um, I think he can take things to heart. Um, so I think he's got quite an emotional yeah. reservoir there yeah. um, and trying to, I guess, safeguard and nurture that, but also showing that they are very healthy traits as a boy and as a man will be just so crucial. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting because um, – yeah, I think I was a bit similar as well, and and I've definitely seen that in Will, uh, my youngest. He's six. Yeah. Um, and I've really been leaning in the last probably the last six weeks, you know, trying to spend as much time with him as possible, and yeah, just telling him I love him all the time because he's been having these. He's been saying things like, "Oh, I'm really dumb." He'll often sort of say things like that, and it breaks yeah. my heart when he says it. And so I'm just trying to constantly turn it around and, and reaffirm in, in different ways like his his innate value look like an amazing human being to just even be here at this time in history you know all the things that yeah. you can't take away from someone and and it seems to have really resonated because i was in a meeting the other day and he crawled up the stairs and just peeked into the room and and i just put my mic on on mute and he and he looked across and he went dad i love you and like put his thumb up and then went yeah. back down the stairs. And I was like, really oh, that's amazing. Like, that's yeah, so good. That is great. Yeah. Now, you know, it's, it's exactly that, that sort of stuff. And, um, you know, for me, I guess one of the things I, I mean, what I would teach both our kids, but I think particularly for my little boy is that it's okay to come and want to talk about your feelings or your worries or your doubts or anxieties or whatever they are. And that is, you know, that you're going to be heard and listened and acknowledged. Um, I guess that's something I struggled with with my dad when I was a teenager and a young boy. You know, my dad is very loving and supportive, but was that generation of men were talking about your feelings and emotions or having someone 
talk about theirs to you was really hard and awkward. Um, and I, you know, and I don't want my little boy to think, well, mum's the only one I can really talk to about when I'm having having some vulnerabilities. I want him to, to know that I can go to dad as well. Um, yeah, because the alternative one. is going off to his peers who yep. might not have the right sort of, you know, support ability either or, or yeah. might be talking about completely other stuff that is not going to help him at all. Yeah, and, you know, I really want for both my kids, you know, again, Alf and mine are young, so it's all kind of just, you know, hypothetical at this stage, but I really want them to feel that they can talk to us about anything without judgment or fear of criticism or fear of like punishment um, and that they'll be listened to and really and heard you know that we're not going to come and start talking over the top of them and telling them what they should do or you know telling them that off if they've got a problem just be like we are here to listen and you know and quietly and constructively talk to you about whatever the problem is and I, I would love that to happen from when they're six and seven all the way through the adolescent years to when they're adults um yeah and I feel a big one for me is just they walk away and they feel like, okay, I feel like I genuinely was heard there. I got to talk. They got it. I didn't get up any shit about it. Like I got I got kind of a safe space <laughs> to actually talk about it. I think that'll, for me, that'll be a win. I'll take that. Yeah. Um, it, it's yeah. interesting because I I think my natural default is to try and problem solve for people. And, yep. and when I've had it done to me, I mean – my mum is like the sweetest human being in the world, but she'll often try and solve my problem when yep. I explain it. And I'll just go, look, I don't actually need you to solve my problem. I just, I just want to talk to you. And she's yeah. really great. She's coming around now, but I find myself doing it and sort of yeah. going to problem solve. I'm really trying to hold myself back now and go, and I can't remember the book I, I was listening to recently where um, I was a podcast. He's talking about just, f- just feedback what they say to them. It's the yeah. the craziest sort of idea, but just feedback. Like if they say, oh, I'm feeling really frustrated, just say, oh, you're feeling really frustrated? And just feedback yeah. what they're saying. Reflective listening, I think it's called. And um, yeah. apparently it's such a good way for people to just genuinely feel, wow, I was really hurt. They just made space for me. And that's what I'm experimenting with at the moment because I think it'll get me out of this whole problem-solving um, mindset. Yeah. I feel like I used to – I definitely did that a lot when I was younger, that sort of jumped to, I've got the solution for you. Um, definitely, and I think my wife will mind me saying that, I definitely have had that conversation with her. I'm like, I don't need you to jump in with the solution. <laughs> Just I want you to listen. Um, and because she's very much like, she has a, sort of a scientific engineer sort of problem-solving mind, and it's great. But sometimes you said, all you want to do is be heard and listen to and get to the problem or the solution later. Uh, I think for, for kids, that's going to be so important is just like, feeling like you're you were being heard and listened to um and 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 having that empathy you know i i find too sometimes you can talk to people and the sort of support you get is like again well-meaning but kind of you know misplaced in the sense that you might say something about here's something that i'm going through it's really hard and one of the first things to get is oh but at least you haven't got it as hard as dot 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 yeah um i find that a bit with certain family members at the moment where we're talking about our struggles in lockdown you know, oh, but at least you're not in Britain. At least you're not in Florida. At least you're not. It's like it's not actually helping me. Like I know the perspective of my life. I know I've got a very ultimately very privileged, like lucky existence. It doesn't mean that right in this moment it's not still a bit bloody hard. And I'm just looking for some empathy, not not like forced perspective of well, at least it's not dot dot dot. I think that's another one that happens a lot with people. It comes from a well-meaning spot, but I think again, a lot of research shows it doesn't actually help anyone. No one really walks away thinking. 
oh, luckily they pointed out that, you know, I had my <laughs> get up my ass and I should have been thinking about this other thing and I should have been more appreciative. It's like no one walks away. It's what you said, Rich. It's like people saying, you're frustrated. That really sucks. Like, do you want to talk about it a bit more? You know, I'm, I'm sorry you're feeling that way. I feel like that acknowledgement of where someone's at rather than like, your emotional state should be somewhere else. You should be more grateful because you're not yeah. in, you know, you're here's, not in a here's how you can fix it. Taliban rule. Yeah. It's like, let's, you got to deal with people in the here and now and where they're emotionally are at. I think that's something that I'm hopefully getting better at as I'm starting my journey in my forties is understanding where people are emotionally at and that that might not be the same point as you on, yeah. the, on a given time. Well, I think um, I saw a, an Instagram post or something the other day. It was a joke about, you know, that the hardest thing about parenting is definitely the kids. Whereas I actually think it's the opposite. The hardest thing about parenting I've found is myself. It's like the, yeah. the, the, the inner sort of uh, critic and, and all the stuff that all the baggage that I brought into parenting. That's yeah. what I think, you know, is I'm starting to see a glimmer of light around like, Oh, sort that out. Parenting becomes way easier. It's yeah. a lot harder, of course. But, yeah. Yeah. No, it's a really good point. Um, and I guess, you know, what we're talking about today and what I try and talk about in the book is is by no means searching for some sort of level of perfect parenting, right? It doesn't exist. It's about active, you know, active and involved parenting. Yeah. That means It's a moving target, a isn't it? Of, it's a yeah. moving target. Yeah, it's a moving target. And it means you're making a ton of errors and mistakes and things you look back on and go, oh, I wish I handled that differently. And I have that plenty of times. Like I can't even... Sometime this week I sort of was out with my kids and I came back and they were just having a sleep in the middle of the day and I went to my wife in her lunch break and I'm like, oh, I was just a bit short and snippy with them this morning for no good reason. I just was in a bit of a mood. They hadn't done anything particularly cheeky or naughty or, you know, I just was being a bit sharp and aggravated with them. But, you know, just like admitting that and go, yeah, I just wasn't at my best. It's just, <laughs> But I'm there. I'm trying. I'm taking them into the park. I'm trying to do the right things with them. And, I think that's part of giving ourselves some slack, particularly now more than ever yeah. with all the lockdown not, you know, nonsense. It's just, yeah, no one's trying to say there's a perfect way to be a dad or there's like the most, you know, there is a scientific equilibrium between <laughs> yeah. like work and family balance. Like, yeah. you know, most weeks it's about handling the imbalance and being imperfect, you know. Coming out um, relatively unscathed. <laughs> yeah, coming out unscathed or, you know, if you do screw up, and this is something I've got to work on a lot, when you do screw up, just sort of saying, I'm sorry. And as many times I've had to go back to my kids, like, I'm sorry I snapped at you for that. Sorry I shouted. I was just, I was wrong and I'm sorry. You know, and just that that's part of it too is just, I guess, part of being a, a good dad or an active dad and being a good, a good man is being able to say, hey, can we talk because I got that last thing wrong and I'm sorry. I'm sorry I upset you and being able to admit it and not sort of sort of cover it up and say, well, you provoked me or, you know, it was only because you said this that I reacted like that to be like, yeah, sorry, got that wrong. And that's part of what it is, just fessing up and saying my bad. Um, I think that helps everyone too and you can just be honest like that and authentic. Well, Rob, I think it's fantastic what you're doing for the whole movement. And, you know, Man Raises Boy is a really great read. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And I know you've got to go because we're running out of time for you, but you've been really reflective, Rob, uh, thoughtful, and it's been a really inspiring conversation. So thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Richard. Look, I love talking about fatherhood. I could talk about it all day. Me too. (laughs) But we better let you go for now. So maybe uh, we can catch up again soon. It sounds good. Thanks so much. Cheers, Rob. Thanks ever so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Rob as much as I did. If you'd like to reach out to him, I'll put some links in the show notes at thedadmindset.com. Well, that's all from me for now. I hope you stay safe and sane. And until next time, 
Enjoy your caffeinated beverage. 